Support for this podcast comes from Format. Format are the market leaders in providing award-winning career sites to employers such as NPower, View, Atkins and Muller. The secret to the great results Format delivers for its clients is complete focus on the candidate experience, including long-term passive candidate engagement, while at the same time ensuring rock-solid and completely seamless integration with the ATS. To download Format's free ebook on planning and implementing a new careers website, go to www.bit.ly/careerswebsite. Or to find out more about their services, go to www.format.com. And Format is spelt with the number 4, then M A T. There's been more of scientific discovery more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 117 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Something a bit different this week. I think it's really important to sometimes look outside of the corporate talent acquisition world to see what lessons can be learned from other industries. When it comes to talent innovation, it's fair to say that professional sports probably leads the way. My guest this week is Cody Royal, head coach of AFL Team Canada. Cody has recently written a book on people innovation, which is based on lessons he's learned by talking to elite coaches and sporting leaders, such as Ralph Kruger, Joe Dumas and Ted Sunquest. Some fascinating stuff here. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Cody, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me on. My absolute pleasure. Could you uh, just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure thing. Uh, my name is Cody Royal. I'm an Australian, obviously, you'll tell by my accent. I live in Toronto in Canada. Um, I'm the national team head coach for the Aussie Rules program here. And I've just finished my first book, uh, Where Others Won't, which kind of marries up my, my coaching experience with the experiences I've had in the corporate world. Um, and uh, you've got some sort of sort of previous experience in recruiting. Is that is that right? Yeah. So I spent the first uh, roughly ten years in HR and recruitment. So I spent three years in pure HR in a generalist role in Australia. Uh, I studied HR at university and then moved into that role in the corporate world. And then when I moved over to Canada, I moved into agency recruiting. So I spent about six or seven years in North America. Uh, selling, uh, recruiting into, you know, Fortune 500s. Fantastic. And um, obviously, we're going to uh, talk, you know, talk at length about your book and all that sort of stuff. But I'm, um, for, for a European, I'm dying to ask this question <laughs> straight off, which is, uh, how popular is Aussie rules football in, uh, in Canada? It's a growing sport. We now have teams in, uh, I think it's seven provinces. Uh, across Canada, which um, is getting as close to the mark for being uh, recognised as a sport uh, by by Sport Canada, so you have to hit a lot of criteria. Um, and we're also on television, which is helping a lot. So late at night, um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you can see you know live Aussie Rules games, which is obviously helping the game uh, boom a little bit. 
um, specifically because in North America you don't have club environments like we have in, the, say, the UK and Australia where after university you'd go and play for your local rugby club or your local soccer club or your local Aussie rules club and, you know, you would play until you're 40. That doesn't exist here. So we get a lot of, you know, football players, as an example, that come out of university in Canada and don't have an avenue to play sport. So let's get back to talking about your book. Um, what's it about and why did you write it? Yeah, good question. The, the book is about people innovation and how teams work. Um, and it came from my background and, you know, this experience of coaching a high level of sport and then, you know, as a day job going in and, and seeing how teams work in the corporate environment and um, I guess the frustration at how little I found that there was an understanding of how teams work and how people work and um, I just didn't see those those same frustrations in the sporting world where, um, you know, people are really all you have. Um, and so I started writing about it about five years ago and then went through a process about a year ago where I started to interview some pretty high-level people in pro sport to ask them about their recruitment and their leadership and culture and high performance and uh, and just kind of bundle it all together. Fantastic. And um, talk us through the the people that you actually interviewed. Now, um, I know that there are, uh, you know, people who might be specific to specific sports and specific um, countries. Um, but, you know, with a global audience for the podcast, I'm sure that people will have heard of, um, you know, will have will have heard of some of them. Could you sort of give us some, some examples of the people that you spoke to? Yeah, definitely. The, the, kind of, the big three, I guess you would call them, um, to use a, a sporting analogy, um, Ralph Kruger, who's the president and chairman of Southampton Football Club, uh, he, he's got a fascinating story uh, as a, an ice hockey coach in Canada uh, and then was engaged by uh, Southampton Football Club to, to run their team. Um, so he's got some incredible anecdotes that have made the book. Uh, Joe Dumas, who was obviously a, an NBA Hall of Famer, with the Detroit Pistons and then went back as their president and built a championship winning team. You'll remember the 2004 Detroit Pistons. Um, they overcame the, the mighty Los Angeles Lakers who'd won three in a row. Um, and so again, uh, just a fascinating discussion and, and talking of recruitment, the way that team was built was absolutely fascinating. And then the other one would be Ted Sundquist, who was the general manager of the Denver Broncos through the early 2000s. Um, so uh, there's obviously a raft of other executives and coaches and CEOs and CFOs that I've spoken to, but they're kind of the big three that I really uh, have kind of latched on to a lot of their examples. Fantastic. So um, to, to confess all, I'm actually a fan of Southampton Football Club. So um, <laughs> tempted though I am to ask you about uh, Ralph Kruger's plans for the next five years. Um, let, let, kind of pulling it back to recruitment. What were the, you know, what were the most sort of interesting, um, interesting insights that you got from, from those interviews in terms of, uh, you know, how these guys think about recruitment recruiting and how they uh you know get the the sort of the best possible talent into their teams yeah the the biggest light bulb moment i think in marrying all these concepts up and there's there's three solid chapters on recruitment and there's a bunch of anecdotes within those chapters i think the 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 core element is that uh, humans recruit humans 
and um, all of these uh, all of these teams, regardless of whether it's Southampton Football Club, Detroit Pistons, whoever it is, um, at the top uh, there is uh, uh, someone that is grounded very much in human interaction and motivation, and that kind of filters through as a cultural element into their recruiting. So it's not like viewing you know leadership and recruitment and culture and high performance as separate silos. They all feed into each other. Um, to, to give you an example, you know, Joe Dumas recruited a bunch of ragtag players that were, you know, had been traded a bunch of times and basically put them into an environment that um, just facilitated their strengths. Uh, and, and that was a, a long-term play, but uh, it was all about, for him, you know, he was, um, he was interested in their journey. So the first questions that he asked them was, wasn't about basketball. It was like, tell me about where you've come from. And, um, and so he had a really innate understanding of how to motivate that person once they were in the job. And I think there's a lot of crossover for that in, in the corporate world. Absolutely. And um, I think in the book you talk about, um, is, it, is, it, is it vulnerable interviewing or, or, or something? Could you, could you sort of talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so I came up with this concept of a vulnerable job description. And then I started to think about that more and I realized that it was kind of an interview process as well. But the idea came from uh, the sporting world again, where you, um, uh, let's say you're, um, you've just been relegated from the Premier League as an example. Everyone knows that. Everyone understands where where you are um, and they understand the flaws in your team. And so really the interview process uh, and the whole kind of onboarding process needs to start with that vulnerability. And um, if, you're, if you lie to a candidate at that stage of the job process, that's going to continue on for the rest of that person's tenure, um, whether it's them lying to you or you lying to them. And I think there's, you know, there's examples now like a Bridgewater Associates as an example where, you know, Ray Dalio has just released his book Principles, which is number one everywhere. And one of his big um, fundamental principles was to show your warts and basically tell candidates where you're at. Um, and, yeah, I, I see a commonality there with, with the sporting world where you can't lie that the Cleveland Browns went or about to go 0-16. So when they're recruiting next year, they have to lay all their cards on the table. And I, I think that's just a, a better foothold to grasp onto for people coming into your organization um, to actually start there and just admit that that's where you're at um, and ask for help from them. I suppose one of the other interesting things for me from from the sporting world is so um in the in the book that I wrote exceptional talent we um you know we talk about uh, what is exceptional talent and that um, past experience doesn't necessarily um, equate to future performance and companies need to think uh, much more flexibly about the you know their definition of talent if they're gonna um, you know fill the sort of the new types of roles they have and, and deal with skill shortages how does that you know how, how does that kind of sit in the sporting world because i guess that um you know you've got sort of very expensive players with with past track records but you've also got um you know players players coming through who, who turn into future stars was there um did you get kind of any insights into that sort of uh that definition of pa- talent within these sports teams 
Yeah, definitely. There's a whole area that I, I start to talk about um, underutilized and underappreciated. And to go back to the um, the Detroit Pistons example, that's that they built a, a whole team of those guys, guys that were, yeah, they were ragtag. They were about to be discarded by the industry. Um, but what they did was find out what they could do. Uh, and I think the, the crossover in the corporate world is that we kind of interview people for the job, like for the job description and not bother finding out what else they can do. And so when you're talking about identifying what talent is, um, so many people have so many different skills that could actually be a competitive advantage for you, but you don't even bother to ask. Um, and and that's where I think the disconnect is. In a sporting world, I think they, they go and find out you know, can you just rebound the ball? Or the New England Patriots are another example where they've built an entire roster of guys. You know, I think it was a couple of years ago their whole offensive line was undrafted, and so they went and found guys that could just do different things. But they they bothered to ask the question, what can this guy do? And um, I think, uh, particularly in the corporate environment, just asking that simple question can spark an idea that might lead to a product innovation that might lead to a, a huge competitive advantage. But you've got to ask the question first. So um, the, the, the beyond recruiting, the sort of the, the rest of the books about teamwork and, and motivation and, you know, other, other sort of people lessons that uh, companies can get from, you know, high performing sports teams. Um, can you sort of give us an insight into that side? Because I think, you know, that that's obviously a really sort of interesting, interesting, interesting factor. Yeah. So in all, I think I, well, I've counted 53 core ideas in the book and they're broken down into recruiting leadership, culture and high performance. There are examples from the corporate world as well of, of um, companies that I, I see as uh, being thought leaders in this area. But um, for example, in leadership, um, I think there's there's two real learnings that I clued in on. And, and one was that tenure has nothing to do with leadership. Um, and you're seeing now uh, young professional coaches in, in sport that are thriving when put into the right environment. Julian Nagelsmann you know, is, a, is, a, is now a high-profile manager in Germany. Guy was 28 when he took the job and rescued them from a relegation battle and now has them in, in the top six. Now, in the corporate world, putting a 28-year-old in charge of a team that was about to be relegated or the equivalent of is un, you know, unheard of. But um, he actually, you know, Hugh Stevens was, was in the job before him and that's a guy that had 25 years of experience. And so he's starting to see these... Um, people strategies in pro sport that are actually doing quality assurance for the corporate world. And I just wanted to bring a lot of them to light. Um, probably the other, the other key one would be that I see kind of a leadership style as being a, a bit of a sliding scale. So not necessarily set in stone. You don't need to be an authoritative leader. You don't need to be a laissez-faire leader. You actually adapt based on what your team needs. And so you know, going back to the recruitment um, anecdote I was talking about before, you, you've kind of got to understand what motivates each individual and and slide with them and slide with what the team needs. And um, yeah, so I, there's uh, 
there's there's quite a few, 53 obviously, but um, it's broken down. The whole book is broken down into small bite-sized nuggets with with the idea that not all are going to be relevant to everyone, but uh, hopefully there's one that kind of gets you thinking that this is you know this is quite relevant to me, and and you know we could implement this uh, fairly quickly, and it, it could change something for us. And I suppose to uh, to sort of distill that down into a in, into a bit of a summary. Um, as companies sort of move into 2018, what would your core advice be to talent acquisition professionals to sort of help them hit their objectives for the for the year? Yeah, the thing that I learned through this process, and, and this is years of research and speaking to various people, but the way I see it is people or people innovation is, is the new competitive advantage. And so I would be beating that drum to um, to my company and saying that you know everything is fast becoming so commoditized technology has leveled the playing field to the point where people are the way to get you know the the fastest way to to gain a competitive advantage and so um, if I were if I was still in the industry <laughs> uh, that's what that's what I would be cluing in on and, and kind of looking at these examples of of companies that they're not they're not necessarily innovating on products to the level that they used to be they're really innovating on people and making sure that their people are successful and looking at strategies that can allow their their individuals and their teams to thrive because that's really where you're going to go from scrapping for 1 and 2% gains to you know 5 and 10% gains so final question, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, you sort of heard lots of anecdotes during the, uh, you know, the, the interviews that you that you did. What was your favorite? Well, well, I'm not saying this one just because you pumped him up earlier, Matt, but um, my conversation with Ralph Kruger was definitely the favorite, um, not only just because of he's so insightful, but um uh, just his his general demeanor. He, he's a Canadian, so you know they're known as uh, very nice people. But um, his his perspective on um, on leadership was fantastic. Not only from being a hockey coach for so long and now leading a Premier League team, but you know he's consulted with the World Economic Forum. Um, and the the nugget that he left me with was um, you know the 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 big disconnect in culture, in corporate culture, is that leaders don't bother to uh, involve people in building the culture that's ultimately going to um, affect them. Uh, And so one of the things that he did, one of the first things that he did at Southampton was he grabbed all 204, I think it was, full-time employees. They sat them in a conference room and everyone got to speak on the microphone about their role and what they wanted Southampton Football Club to become. Um, so every single person in the company spoke to the new chairman and said, this is where I think we can go. And then they went and molded the corporate culture around what those people had said, rather than just him coming in and saying, this is how we're going to do it. And, um, you know, for that, from uh, to come from a guy in such a high-profile um, position, was just astounding to me and and so um 
as you can tell, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Um, obviously, I'm biased, but that's absolutely brilliant. And um, I'm, I'm hoping it translates into long-term sporting success. Um, brilliant to talk to you. Where, where can people find uh, you and where can they find the book? Yeah, the book is called Where Others Won't. It's available on Amazon only at the moment. Um, and so, um, yeah, punch in Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, wherever you are, and uh, search for Where Others Won't. And I'm also at whereotherswont.com. Cody, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks, Matt. My thanks to Cody Royal. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, via Stitcher, or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify user, the podcast is also available there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.